Are we live? Live in three, two, two one. one. Well, excellent. I guess we're live. So, uh, hi, Jennifer. It's nice to see you today. <laughs> hey, Leslie. Hi, Ben. Hey, how you doing? We have a smaller doing pretty group good. today. Yes. Yeah. Unless you have T.S. Eliot with you, and then we... I yeah. do. The, I just do. the four of us? Okay, good. Oh, wow. He's here. Element. He's yeah. here and ready to comment. <laughs> well, I know Deborah had something she had to do, and David is going to be taking a break from this while he's working on some really intensive coursework. So he's he's got to step back from fun things like Solid Ground Live. So we'll look forward to him rejoining us when he's ready to do that. And hello to Deborah and David and Jody, if you catch this later. And why would we be in this strange room? Oh, we are in a strange room. We are in Denver. We just um, we just spent this the last couple of days attending the Genspect conference, um, which has been really it's been very interesting. There's lot lots of energy here around um, around what's going on with childhood gender transition so it's it's been very interesting yeah yeah this movement's been going on for i i stumbled into this movement um a long story short i, I, I was making content for youtube and playing around with different ways to make content you know and you can do like uh you know 10 minute videos where you have an opinion about things or you can do um you can Comment on current events. Uh, one thing that I stumbled into that I once I figured out what to do was interviewing. And once I started interviewing, I tried different people to interview and then see who responds to that or, you know, who listens in or who doesn't listen in. Hi, guys, uh, in the chat. Um, and I stumbled upon this topic around gender, transgenderism, uh, feminism, and and there's just all these different people with all these different opinions and they were all yelling at each other on Twitter. And so I thought this is a good opportunity to actually listen to these people and like actually hear them out. And my, I mean, I, for, for better or worse, I decided that I would talk to anybody who's not shutting down everybody else. So whoever's out there shutting down speech and uh, making sure that people get kicked off of platforms, I'm just not going to platform them. We're going to have an actual conversation. And if you don't want to be in the conversation, you can just go and do your own thing. So that was my one, like, because um, I, I really was just ticked off by people behaving that way, especially coming from Ember. Yeah. 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 And oh, uh, yeah. one cohort that I stumbled upon was the detransitioners and detransitioners or desisters, generally young people who had uh, been attracted to a trans identity and then desisted or, or discovered that trans identity wasn't real for them. And they'd gone through a certain level of medicalization or at least um, mental formation around that. And listening to their stories of going through that and then out of that was a very cool just a fascinating arc just as a story um, of, of development. There's this, uh, you know, in, in technical terms for the novelist, there's this genre called the Bildungsroman, which is the coming of age novel. And the detransitioner was just a very particular modern version of the coming of age story. And there's all these different aspects to it. So anyways, 
yada 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 i end up just interviewing detransitioners and feminists and mothers and um and then sexologists psychologists um i i interview lisa marciano lisa marciano connects me with stella stella and um and then i i get hooked up with sasha ayad and then Sa stella and sasha hook up and then stella starts to think seriously about what needs to be done and there's already these there's different uh, blogs, different community, different like online portals that are trying to like collect information about this topic, specifically transition, but youth transition. And then there's a lot of parents involved and there's just a, a need for people to come together uh, to talk about these things because a lot of this information mm -hmm. is being shoved out of the mainstream media. You can't really find it. I just interviewed uh, Stephanie Davies Arai and Denise Kenyon last night about this and they were the first two women they were just writing about this and they were looking at this this uh you know this push in schools and in the medical profession to medicalize these children then there's all these different kind of types going on with like who's who's identifying as trans anyways that was in 2015 i got involved in this in 2018 uh, and then all these groups started popping up over the last about three or four years and Genspect is kind of this uh, umbrella organization that has room for detransitioners, for parents, for professionals, and for cultural critique. And then there's all these different other organizations like Sagem's more focused specifically on the medical field and the professional medical field. And then there's this other organization, Geta or um, Therapy First, that's focused purely on therapists, therapist organizations, then there's critical theory anecdote, which yeah. therapy anecdote, which is kind of overlaps with gender, but is more about the broader thing. So right now there's just these events, Ginspect's putting on these events and you have a lot of these people. Well, they're following WPATH. They, yeah, okay. So, so that's kind of the schedule. Yeah. That's kind of like how they, they did um, a conference that I didn't attend in Ireland in April that you were at. And that was in uh, in response to WPATH putting on a conference right there. And so then I guess there was a WPATH ah. conference just last week in Denver. No, right. Oh, it's going on right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're oh, kind wow. of coinciding. Yeah. And WPATH is the world... Um professional organization of association trans. for transgender health yeah, yeah. and they're, they're yeah. basically a captured organization well not even captured they're just a pseudo there is pseudo professional organization almost that presents itself really as an authority but if you scratch the surface you find that there's a lot of um oh a lot of ethical uh concerns to be yeah. had around what they're yeah doing. Yeah, my understanding is that WPATH has been been able to wield a tremendous amount of influence over the American Medical Association. And they also, um, I read that they also started going into courtrooms in order to offer trainings for judges um explaining to them from their point of view how to handle um parental custody cases where there was an issue regarding the child's gender identity um involved so they've they've been able to also wield legal influence you know there was an attorney who presented at this conference who brought up a, a situation just like that she didn't cite WPATH as the as the organization that did the 
the legal training, but she'd been working a family law case that was related to these issues, and the judge had had one particular, I guess, had been open to some their line of 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 logic and, and reasoning, and then did a training about this kind of stuff and completely shut down and went into the. Um, uh, just took the other perspective. Were you there for that? No, that, I missed you that. missed that one. Okay, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and you know what? I just wanted to say in the chat. Hi, everybody. Teep says that is I can't see the icon. It looks like a gentleman was at the Killarney uh, conference in March. So I was happy to hear about this. And then Ash Brown said, "What is this couples therapy?" Which is kind of funny. So Jennifer, <laughs> if you have if you have some advice for us. Or, you know. Yeah, help us along here, Jen. Help us along here. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think you guys are doing just great and that you're adorable. And so this couple, this is affirmation therapy then. It's just, That's affirmation. <laughs> I'm going to affirm you guys because I think you guys rock. Uh -oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, Ben, you were going to tell me about your necklace right before we went live. Can you say what is it and what the meaning is? Yeah, well, uh, there is a group of, uh, you know, self-styled group online on Twitter called, uh, well, they're detransitioners or D-sisters. And one of the icons that they've landed on that they put in their username is a gecko. Uh, symbolizing some form of change or mm -hmm. also the loss of the tail um, mm, because there's and then the regrowth from that loss um, kind of thing and there's probably other layers of meaning to it but it's just a symbol for them and there was one detransitioner lovely young woman hopefully I can get her on my show um, that was making these uh, geckos for people and yeah, handing Laura. them out and Luca. Is it, oh, it's Luca. Okay, yeah. I thought it was Laura. Yeah, oh, that's so nice. So, I don't know if you guys That is really cool. Isn't that pretty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got the prettiest that, one. That's cool. I like okay. it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, there's going to be such a an explosion of people in that situation Yeah. over the next several years. Yes. The, and so I'm sure that people can get access to the live stream. And if not right now, you might have had to sign up for the live stream. I know that Genspect will be publishing most, if not all, of it of the proceedings of the conference onto their YouTube. And there's a ton. It, they crammed it. I wish they would have uh, scheduled it for two and a half days and had the same amount of content, but like everybody had 45 minutes and we had a little bit more time to process because it was boom, boom, boom. We started out with uh, Michael Schellenberger and Leo Sapir mm. and who was, the, who was the first? Oh, gosh. Salvo? It's a blur to me at this point. It was yeah. a packed day. Yeah, we go days. from, and this topic is so amazing. Just as a topic, I was saying this when I, I paneled a panel or host a panel or you moderated a panel or whatever you panelated I panelated I pa I'm the panelator <laughs> and uh just this topic it goes from like high level critical theory thinking and systems thinking and you know the medical thinking and then evidence thinking you know this kind of objective or like really high level thinking and then I I said in the conference like I I interviewed James Lindsay and vocal distance for three hours about 
you know, the role of feminism and queer theory and how they kind of like laid the groundwork for what happens later on because they're using the same kind of Marxist programming, you know, like there's the oppressor and the oppressed and we need to swap these, we need to destroy these categories, you know, based on sex and then gender comes along and it just does the same thing to the feminists, yeah. the feminists we're doing to the patriarchy, you know, so there are gains, but also the way in which change has happened just enables the next revolution to happen over and over and over again. So we go through this and vocal distance, I don't know if you know him, is like super brainy. He's talking about Derrida mm -hmm. and John Searle and like language games and like super philosophical and James Lindsay's is his powerhouse, you know, and then I have to get off. I have to get off. I stop that recording. I go and I take care of something and then I come back and I spend two hours with a couple of moms and Sasha Ayad and Lisa Sullen Davis talking about the most personal aspect of a mother-child relationship and how gender-affirming therapy, so-called, really deeply messes with, uh, with, with the mother's psyche. You can see it, that there's something about a woman giving birth to this boy or this girl, and then the boy or the girl decides that the, their body isn't real and that they want to change their gender or their sex. And just the, there's a profound like mythological or archetypal struggle that's being in, evinced in that. And it's all related to the same topic, right? You get this really high level thinking, this yeah. really personal thinking. And so in this conference, you see that, that wide gamut. We're going from like all these personal stories, mothers, you know, and detransitioners. And then like, here's the legal aspect of it. Here's the yeah. medical aspect. Here's the evidence base. And what Leslie was saying about the detransitioner time bomb, uh, was the last uh, speech or talk given yeah, by Wilfred, Wilfred Riley. Riley. That was really great. That was really interesting. I, I thought it was, yeah, what he's saying, it's it's like this, the, the conference um, was, and I haven't, I'm not somebody who's attended a ton of conferences in my life, but usually they're, they're, it feels like there's a, a narrower scope of, of professional participation. And in this one, it's such a wide scope. It's just, it's any, everything from parents to lawyers to detransitioners themselves. Wow. And to um, biologists. And, you know, so there's, there's just such a, a wide um, umbrella of people coming together in one place. And I think that people get, there's a lot of positive energy when people can connect around their concerns that are not being heard yeah. and there's also yeah. like a at Genspect and Killarney and then this weekend there's just such a closeness mm -hmm. to I haven't been to a lot of conferences too but there's a very familial there's a very closeness and all, all of these people had to find each other kind of through other means and make personal connections and then they were vetted by all these stress tests because the trans rights activists have, have been very brutal to this community very very brutal and the mainstream media has been very like just they've been mistreated so they found each other and so there's this kind of this not quite rebel alliance in a revolutionary sense but there's this kind of this tight knit you know everybody's been vetted and tested you know and there's even kind of like there's tensions that have gone over the years like there's been like this infighting and resolution and there's this kind of a family atmosphere to to this this wow. is really really special really special that sounds that sounds Fascinating. I would love to catch one of the conferences sometime. You should go to the next one. It's, I think, in Portugal. Lisbon. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is this, uh, is this an area where you've done a lot of research or had any client issues come up? Um, 
some issues with clients and um and yeah when i was working for counterweight this this came up too and um oh my gosh it, it it's there's a lot of um pain around this issue and a lot of division within families which i happen to think is in the people that are really pushing it um in a very authoritarian way, I do think that in a way they are using it to uh, try to divide families um, and, and just to divide culture. Like nothing's more divisive than when you can't agree on the most foundational things like what is a man and what is a woman. Um, but I've, you know, spoken to um, people that are um, have detransitioned and what they go through is so difficult because they really, you know, when you say that you are trans, you have immediately this sort of, um, oh, we're your family. And if your parents don't understand you, we do. And we're your glitter family. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of support. Um, and then when you detransition, it's almost like, oh, well, like you're a turncoat or something. You're a traitor. And so people lose the supportive communities that they had found. And I, I think it takes tremendous, tremendous courage to do it. And my hope is that people find a new community mm -hmm. um, and have and have strong connections. But I've seen people really go through um, a very hard time and then um, also people that have been through the transition experience themselves that and then have detransitioned and then find themselves in a workplace where they feel like um the workplace is sort of um propagandizing people about um you know with trans ideology and emphasizing the use of pronouns and for them it's awakening a trauma that they've been trying to work through yeah, the, your point about family and, and connection is, I think that's really important. I think it's a, it plays an important role in this this entire process, not just the the trans stuff, but the woke stuff in general. Yeah. When so many people have been accepting something and it's and it's drawn in such moralistic terms, like you're a good person if you do it like this and you're a bad person if you object to this. People that we see, especially like since we've been, since the counterweight um, days and, and before that, it's people are terrified to speak out or to disagree or like what happened to you in your workplace, terrified mm -hmm. to speak, say anything about these trainings that they're getting when everybody around them agrees because you're going to be ostracized from your community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. I think it's there something that's um, it was in, it was really important to me to find critical therapy antidote as a first step to finding a community of people who were aware of these things in a similar way to myself. And I think that that, yes. that creating and finding people that you can align with on these things is so critical. Yes, absolutely. It's been really helpful to me as well. I've been so grateful to meet all the people that I've met who are all just, you know, I just feel like they're great people because they are 
they tend to be brave and they tend to be independent thinkers. And those are things that I admire and value. So I feel like I lucked out with the different people that I've met. Yeah, I'm re we're reading the chat. Somebody commented, who was it, the finisher? About my the, my alpha sitting position. Yet open body language. <laughs> <laughs> if we had that green line, I would be the crooked one. The other one who's, uh, well, before dominant. just before we went live, he was sitting farther back, and I, you know, I was like, "Look at look how little he, teeny <laughs> little husband, teeny little husband." Oh, we got married. Yeah, Jennifer knows that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Chad yeah, knows yeah, that. Yeah. Though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. We yeah. did. We eloped. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In Hawaii, very nice. Uh, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it was a very special trip. moment. Uh, he told me it was a special moment for him, and he was glad I was there. Glad you showed up. Yeah. yeah. It helps if the wife is there. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. It kind of completes the whole thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted her to just like understand that I really appreciate her being involved in this <laughs> marriage with me. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I saw Danny in the chat. Hi, Danny. It's good to see you. She says, I'm glad there's so much organization going on for people to find support and come together, making positive change. Yeah, there was a... Um, I feel very, very honored and fortunate to be in this really odd role that I'm in. Because um, all I've done is just show people to each other. Like, that's my whole job has been to just listen. And what I did was, and, and this is what I, the positive feedback that I've gotten, is that, like, I, I was the only person who was listening. Nobody else was listening to these people. They were talking to themselves and getting shut down and stuff. But So I, I have this kind of honored... Uh, position where I'm just kind of in between and everybody kind of knows me, you know, I'm kind of like this, this vector for them to know each other and stuff. And uh, it just, it's so cute to, to see how you, you just like, he walks like two feet and he, and, and more people come over to say hi and give him hugs and yeah. it's really sweet. Aww. Yeah. You're trying to get coffee yeah. and you, yeah. you have like 30 minutes of conversation. Uh, I saw James Lindsay. James Lindsay was here, of course. Yeah, and, uh, oh, he's, yeah. He's, he's got it like 20 times more. He's like, everybody's got to talk to James because he's done so much valuable work. The parasocial uh, relationship, I don't know if you guys have talked about that a lot. Have uh, we, have we, I don't think we've spent any time talking about mm -hmm. that. No. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Image, though. Yeah. Then, you know, I think that's worth some, some deeper exploration because. I tend to be such a skeptic around the technology, like the internet, and think about how what a terrible force it's been for harm in so many, you know, in individuals and in and socially broadly. But I'm I'm starting to try to reframe that. It's not going away, so we have to find out what's good about it and how to how to like move into that more. What are the positives, like? Uh, like our relationship, for instance, you know, I. With Jen. With Jen, yeah. Well, and, well, you too. But, but, you yeah, too. You too. Well, like, uh, Jennifer, I did we met in, what, 2020 online? Yeah. Yeah, through uh, Critical Therapy Antidote. And then we didn't yeah. see each other in person until this year, earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's in right. In February. In February, in, yeah. In, Feb in February in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, and it was weird. It was like, it's, it's so strange to be in person embodied with someone that's usually just a head on a screen. 
But there's also a, a great degree of familiarity that you can gain just from being connected in this way. So it's not all bad. And like the, just because you lose some things in this element doesn't mean you lose everything. You still have. So I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to find nuance in this Internet world hmm. instead of just feeling like I'm constantly complaining about it and rejecting it. Well, I don't. I don't really feel yeah. any um, other than okay. So there are the phenomena on the internet of people being kind of ruder to each other um, than they would be in person. And mm-hmm. we were talking about that just before we got on. Like it's like that car effect. Like the way that I speak to other drivers in the car is never how I'd ever speak to another human being. But once they're objectified <laughs> yeah. in that car, um, so what I try to do instead of cussing is to make up s- songs about them so that I could sing it to them someday. <laughs> Um, to, to help me with my frustration, but um, so I have, a, I have a collection of car songs, usually about <laughs> yeah, yeah. get the get the hell out of the left lane if you're going to be driving like a grandma kind of thing. But I, you know, it, and you know, what, grandmas can drive fast too, so it's not just grandmas uh, that drive slow. But um, but you know, like when I'm I met James Lindsay for the first time two days ago and I, I have like oh, 40, you guys have never been I've person never met him in person Aww. I have 40 hours of content with that guy you know and 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 there's wow. like Corinna Cohen like all these people that I've met and interviewed and stuff there's no difference between how I like I already know them when I meet it's not like it's like yeah. nice for that first minute but then you're like oh yeah but we already know each other it's not like yeah. this total novel thing and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's due to the I think it has to do with the way that I intentionally chose to use the internet once I started to become a content creator. You were creator. okay with it. You, you leaned into it. No, I, well, I, I, with my interviews specifically, like I want to upload human connection into the internet. I want to upload something that is, is as close to genuine human interaction as possible. Now, you know, Twitter's different than YouTube, so Twitter's for where I play with sentences, but I try to, over time, just like, actually just be myself, like really be myself and, and really be conscious of myself becoming a persona and checking in with myself, like, is there any distance between who I am online and who I actually am and trying to narrow that down? And so because I've done that and also because of the work that I've done with the gender and how, how intimate that this... Um, content is I think that it's led me to to really have like this this all this mediation is just a way for me to connect with the human being so when we are actually in person the weirdest thing is how tall people are or short people are like that's the weirdest thing oh yeah is yeah. is like their actual height you're like oh yeah oh okay oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah what do you yeah. think about that Jennifer you've been doing quite a lot of online engagement okay and i'm like the least techie person on the face of the earth i'm like really seriously practically amish but i um have been so grateful um for tech ever since 2020 because um i think i really would have gone kind of crazy if i hadn't been able to find some like-minded people who shared my concerns about you know these attempts at a cultural revolution that are going on i mean the only outlet that i had for it before that was just you know like um listening to podcasts listening to jordan peterson and douglas murray which was hugely helpful to me because i knew that they're okay there's other people out here thinking this way but i wasn't i don't get to talk to them (laughs) so meeting people online that i could talk to and sharing our ideas and our struggles and what we've been through was 
just absolutely um, wonderful for me. And um, so I'm really, really grateful for uh, technology because of that. And, and yeah, I mean, I do wish that I could, you know, hang out with some of the people I've met more. Like, it would be cool if you lived around the corner or something. That'd be fun, you know? Um, but like, I'll, I'll take what I can get. And this way, you know, I can connect to people from all, all over the world, you know, I can talk to people all over the US and, and in England and in Canada and hear what their perspectives are. And I just so yeah, I've been very grateful. I know exactly what you mean, Ben, about um, the whole height thing. And I mean, people do <laughs> it just feels so so weird it's like oh my god okay i thought you were this or i thought you were that and um yeah i i thought like when i met jody shaw i for some reason i had her as this really really petite short person and she's five foot eight <laughs> and tall. i'm like yeah i'm like what the, what the heck what the heck how are you how are you this tall she looks so it, tiny yeah. on screen i felt the same way about jody and about you you guys, and really? we're, we're all three about the same height. And seeing you in person, I was like, you guys are, you're just like, these real human beings. And it, I don't know, you were yeah. very petite, and not that little petite people are <laughs> real human beings. That's terrible. Of course they are. <laughs> That's not at all what I meant. It's just that you have dimensions to you that I wasn't expecting. Oh, as do you, Leslie. What in mouth? Yes. yes. Oh, man. I comment on her dimensions all the time. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, like, I have songs about it. Yeah, and some of them are offensive. <laughs> so, um, there was a couple of questions. One was, yeah. um, what, what uh, the finisher thing, I believe. No, Ash Brown asked about the potential impacts this from one. GenSpec. That's yeah. really interesting. Do you have a sense that there might be viable outcomes from the GenSpec conference that could filter out into the wider industry? Um, by industry, well, what does industry mean? There's a lot of different levels there. <laughs> I know I really believe in Sagem's work. I really believe in Geta's work or for uh, mm -hmm. uh, therapy first, which is they're, they're gonna they're kind of gonna start announcing more and more, um, and I really believe in GenSpec's work. Now GenSpec is 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 a different organization than those other organizations. GenSpec, like they they name their conference bigger picture. It's really about trying to bring all these different people together. Yeah. So I think that I've I've met a lot of therapists here. And I've met a lot of detransitioners here. There's like there's lesbians and gays that are you know not therapists or anything. They're more they're one one's a contractor. I hope to yeah. have her on my channel. I, just last night, you know, you meet somebody and she was telling me how she was introduced to a trans identity through a book. Just add hormones, and at the oh, wow. same time, the yeah, just add hormones. And I'm like, is that like a cupcake recipe for like messing with your <laughs> endocrine system? You know, like basically. But and she was talking about how like the butch lesbian community has been genocided or whatever oh, um yeah. decimated and more so by transition oh. there's no butch lesbian they're all becoming yeah. trans men yeah. and so she found that and that those ideas were really attractive because it was it was modeling or, or depicting her life as a butch lesbian at the same time she found ashyanga yoga like one of those really intense two hour a day yogas and she was talking mm -hmm. about how that rooted her in her femininity mm -hmm. even though she's very masculine she's also a contractor too 
and how she she did this whole thing where she aligned her chakras or whatever. She she really got in tune with her body. Her menstrual cycle synced up with the moon. Like it just she she knew that hmm. her reality was a woman hmm. as a woman, and that that got her through that kind of temptation. And that's one aspect where if she she wants to help detransitioners by giving them construction jobs by rooting them back into their body. So hmm. detransitioner that's not an industry, but there are changes afoot in and helping and giving help right. to that. Genspect also released uh, standards of care. Or they're, they're tooling with a kind of, what's it called? Uh, it's the framework. framework. Yeah, they have their gender framework. It's, it's gen a non-medical, um, non, yeah, just a Evidence-based, but non-medical Non-medical approach to gender identity. For doing it with, in schools and professional yeah. uh, settings and stuff like that. And that's ongoing. I, I know that there's... Somebody said that there's no way for this to go back. Once these ideas, once truth kind of starts operating, um, and once we kind of smash through the ceiling of communication and mm -hmm. narrative, like there's a lot more work to do. And the, the opposition, if you want to think in that terms, is very, very strong, very well-funded, and very um, dedicated to this. They really, really, really want to castrate and sterilize children. They really want that more than anything in the world. Um, and th it's going to be really hard. But once the public gets to speak about this, most people don't want that to happen. Well, you know, I think yeah. in terms of, of this having broader implications or impacts throughout, I, I don't know about industry specifically, because as you said, which industry are we talking about education? Are we talking about um, therapy? Yeah. Are we talking about education. medicine? You yeah. know, there's several different industries that are heavily implicated in all of this. But societally, I think that this is going to, this kind of thing uh, has the potential to have a great impact because it empowers people to be able to speak plainly. And one of the things that I, I, I really liked about this is you've got, you've got a representation from across so many different areas. So we already talked about the fact that there's parents of trans-identified youth or 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 trans uh, young adults or um, de-sisters or, or de-transitioners. You've got the de-transitioners themselves. You've got the doctors, the therapists. Um, the lawyers. But you also have trans people involved yes. in this, which is, I think, is an important part. voice to be to be hearing from. You've got uh, trans people who are in whatever phase of that, whether they're happy with that decision, whether they have concerns about the decisions that they've made, but that are bringing a, a voice of moderation to the table, mm -hmm. saying, we're, you know, it's, this is not, this is not a black and white issue. It's not a, it's not you're either with us or against us. It's there are people who come from lots of different backgrounds and different perspectives on what it means to think about gender. Yeah. Who all share concerns about what we're doing with young people right now and want to make sure that people have um, informed consent. Yeah. And, the, and I, I mean, a lot of people would agree that young people can't possibly give consent to something that, that forecloses on their future. Well, yeah, and then the broader question, can anybody give consent to a radical, radically invasive, still experimental medical procedure? I mean, that's on the continuum of plastic surgery. So we do plastic surgery procedures all yeah. the time. Yeah. And, you know, well, sometimes yeah. they have a great yeah. impact in yeah. somebody's life and can make them feel um, really positive. That's so a, I think that's a conversation that could be had. Yeah. All, but but with the hormone thing that that is body modification, yeah. but yeah. we don't really understand yeah. the long term 
effects of that, let alone disrupting puberty. That which yeah, well, is yeah, right. but I, that goes back into youth again, which is yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that uh, you know the the trans folk, uh, the the trans units here. Um, yeah, and getting to meet them and and giving them a place to you know be open, curious, and questioning, and be around a bunch of people who were harmed by this um, this ideology, and um, and then try to stabilize communication between ostensibly opposite oppositorial groups. Um, but if, if you, again, if you cut out like the activists that want to control everything mm -hmm. or if you avoid them or like just kind of allow them to have one tiny piece of the pie, then, then things change radically. The, 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 the openness that, that occurs when, when those totalitarian authoritarians don't have center stage or like, like even that narcissistic yeah. drive to have them have that foothold. I did. I did want to mention there was a cool comment here um, about. Uh, I would like to hear your guys. I like Danny's uh, comment about not puny humans. Not puny humans. <laughs> I don't know what that Dan means. Is Danny's that... very tall. Oh, okay. Well, James, not very tall. She's just tall. Maybe you guys have. He he's a very handsome photo. He he could be a movie star. This James McDougall. Mm -hmm. uh, my assumption is the therapist, sorry, just disappeared. My assumption is the therapist occupation attracts a lot of leftists trying to figure themselves out, quote unquote, while they rationalize their own behavior, changing the field so they are normal. That's interesting. Like, what is the. I'd like to hear Jennifer's thoughts. What's on the that? impact of the Overton Wait, window can that you, therapists have? Can you, you, want to read can it again? you repeat? Yeah, read that yeah. again. Sure. It says, my assumption is. The therapist occupation attracts a lot of leftists trying to figure themselves out. While, while there, they rationalize their own behavior, changing the field so that they are, quote, normal. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think when you hear that? <laughs> I, I, I think he must have gone to graduate school with me. <laughs> that's, that's a flippin' awesome comment. I love it. And um, yes, <laughs> so the field attracts people that are um, pretty far left. Um, it, al it also attracts people that have um, definitely struggled with their own illnesses and traumas, which I don't think is a bad thing, mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't I don't think it's, you know, this um, sort of uh, unbiased field. And I don't think that it's a field that attracts as wide of a range of people in terms of viewpoints that um, that I would hope that it would. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been quite upset over what's happened to the mental health field in the past decade or so and quite quite embarrassed honestly because i think that the um basically the position of the mental health field right now is that anything that is um commonly accepted by basically the far left as good and true is what is the position that therapists are going to take in terms of their practice, in terms of their interactions with their clients, and in terms of their beliefs. And I think that it's not being properly discussed. The ideas are accepted wholesale without any discussion. And um, I, I, I don't think it's a good thing at all. And I, I'm, I feel, um, 
yeah, I feel disappointed in the field. And I know that there are therapists that are, um, are thinking for themselves and are pushing back against some of the, you know, the automatic acceptance of what I see as very radical ideas, uh, but it's not to the extent I would like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and another thing I was having this conversation with someone this morning about um, the, what I, my thoughts on the mental health field in general. And I, I was recalling this when I was in undergrad, I went, uh, I, did a, a BA in psychology and I had been planning to go to law school but started to question that because I was enjoying my psychology study so much and I thought maybe I want to become a counselor and I talked with my faculty mentor who was the chair of the psych department at, at my university and they had a clinical psychology master's program they had an IO and then a like a I guess a clinical uh, I guess it would lead to something like an LMHC or something um, and she really poo-pooed counseling. This was back in early, well, I guess it was around 2008-ish. And so she was, there was this, this, this thought, and I, I remember also noticing when I was studying psychology in the intro classes, there's such an apology for itself. There's such a desire to, like the, the field of psychology really wants to be taken seriously as a hard science and doesn't want to be insulted as a soft science or, or something else. So um, I, I just noticed this sort of defensiveness around you must be clinical. You must be um, a practitioner. You need to be uh, a professional like the doctors and like the, the, other, um, the other providers, that being a counselor wasn't good enough. And there's this, this sort of looking down on people who want to do a private practice and treat the worried well, if you will, because you're supposed to want to work in community mental health. You're supposed to want to work with profoundly mentally ill people or people who have, are really struggling with addiction or things that are, that are really uh, major impairments. And yet along the, at the same time, we've grown as a culture to accept more and more the idea that normal people, normal, people will want to seek out help from a professional who can sit with them and, and form a relationship with them and help them process the, the troubles of their life. And yeah, I feel like the clinical approach really does a great disservice to that client, that client base. And that there's this overdiagnosis and, and, and this goes along with the, the, desire to be taken more seriously as practitioners and, and clinical people, but also along with the billing structure yeah, that we're, we're billing say. insurance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like there's this, this uh, major problem in therapy and it's not just social justice, identity politics. I think that the, the industry itself has an identity issue. That's so interesting. And then I wonder if because I, I've always thought that there's something about the mental health field that um, pathologizes normal struggles that we all have in our lives and our relationships. Um, and I wonder if part of the tendency to pathologize um, normal aspects of the human experience is to is part of the effort to be sort of taken more seriously while I'm treating this pathology. Hmm. Um, 
you know, that's interesting. And I've, you know, I've worked both in public health settings, um, private health settings, and now I'm in private practice. And um, I, <laughs> the school that I went to um, for graduate school to get my master's in clinical social work was um, University of Maryland at Baltimore. It was at the time it was called School of Social Work and Community Planning. I think they've dropped the community planning part, but they were very much like leave treating the worried well, which I think is a really dismissive, nasty term. Uh, leave treating the worried well to the psychologists. And uh, you're going to be social workers, and so you need to be dealing with people with severe mental illness and addictions, and hopefully they're also poor, you know, so you can really feel good. Um, so you can be sort of, you know, they weren't talking about social activism then, but there was definitely, there was that element woven through, and I basically just, I, I didn't agree with that. Um, but I did ultimately work with that population for many, many years, and um, it, it, my God, I mean, it, it's, it's really a thankless job. I did have some clients that were wonderful, lovely people um, that I really enjoyed working with, where I felt like I could help them to live more successfully with their illness, where they could increase their well-being. But you get abused as a clinician working in those environments. You get abused by the clients and you get abused also by the organization you're working for. It is really, and you'd think that organizations that are mental health organizations would have a um, sort of be more, have an enhanced awareness of the mental health of their employees, but no, they don't. And, you know, I worked in the state psychiatric hospital for seven and a half years. The staff were getting assaulted constantly. They're, I mean, it, it it's actually dangerous and low paid work. Hmm. So this so, idea of, you know, this is what well, you've got to do. Yeah. When I heard the worried well first, I thought like it was a metaphor about people who are just like navel gazing. But you mean the worried well off. <laughs> no, well, no. I mean, it's this, um, it's this term for people who are not. Uh, they're well off. Is, like, no, is it like a well? Or the well off. Well, no, no, it means, it's it like well. well. It means like it means everyday people who yeah. are functioning, who okay. have jobs, and maybe they're having trouble communicating with their spouse. Maybe they're getting into a lot of arguments. Um, maybe their work stress is so bad that they can't. They're having trouble sleeping at night. But overall, they're yeah. well. They don't or have they're, a they're severe chronic something. mental illness. Yeah, they're they're grieving, or they are. There's somebody yeah. who's a high functioning person who's basically able to keep their life, life, um, hmm. you know, uh, moving forward. They haven't suffered homelessness yeah. or addiction that's so deeply impairing that they've they've had this downward drift in their life. They're not the people that you're going to find in a community mental health right. system. You're going to find it's the person who elects who says, I really am troubled. I think I'm going to find a counselor to talk to. So That's more of the worried a pastoral one. role. Well, but now we are, we're using Speaking cl clinical frameworks. Well, are you okay there, <laughs> Jennifer? <laughs> is that, is that, are they coming for you, Jennifer? I hear the background. They're coming to take me away. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. 
Yeah, it's, it's about uh, time. Yeah, you know, we we don't know what took him. I don't know. This, what that's what so this long. conversation is. We're just trying to hold you here long enough. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was couples therapy, but it's an intervention, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's a real there they really I you know, it's when I thought about going into counseling, I really I saw myself wanting to work with mostly at the time women was what I wanted to work with, women who were dealing with struggles around their fertility either because they're um you know, they've they've lost a child, they're infertile, it, the the woman life cycle, you know, hyper dealing with pregnancy loss, dealing with these things that were really a big part of my own life as a woman. And so that drew me in huh. and that would be the worried well. That would be someone who's just grieving in their own mind but still puts one foot in front of the other and hmm. and just wants to elect to see hmm. a, a counselor. Now I see a broad variety of people for lots of things and none of it's very none of it's clinical in the slightest. So it's not I'm not using a diagnostic framework and I'm sure I would really love to see a professional organization grow up around that, supporting that kind of helping therapy. It's not even it's not therapy. Yeah, you're still struggling with the word yeah, for it. Yeah, still struggling. But I think you're onto something. I really do think you're onto something. Well, I support you in this endeavor. Thank you. Yeah. I support you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> In my YouTube? How do you support me? How do I support you? That's a good question. How, I sit above you in your yeah. little chair. <laughs> How do you want me to grow? Where are you, where are you taking me? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, the finisher is asking about your rainbow gecko zipper pull. Yeah, you want to see it closer? He talked about it a little bit earlier at length. It's, it's basically... So yeah, it's a symbol of the detransitioners. They've chosen the gecko as their symbol. Yeah. <laughs> There's no light here. Okay. No, you can't. It's just focusing on me, and you're this weird blur. Yeah, okay. okay. It's small. Oh. I'm not watching any phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was there was there something this weekend, Leslie, that that really like a an idea or an insight or just a, a moment that really. Mm. Boinged, yeah. yeah, there were a few things. I mean, one of the things I really liked was when Corinna Cohn was talking about um, was was well, there there was a lot of political talk, you know, from different different speakers. Yeah. Some people were like very like Jamie Reed. She's very like bring the left needs to own up to this and come out. And she's like an unapologetic leftist, but yeah. just really critical <laughs> of where the left is going and. And she had a really, her speech was fantastic. If somebody has, a, if you have a chance to go check that out, she's she speaks with a lot of passion. I like her a lot. Yeah, I do too. I totally I disagree too. with her politics, but I do like you? her a lot. Well, then you should you should have yeah. that conversation. No, we with her. we have conversations. Yeah, um, so that was fantastic. But and there were different people coming from different political angles, which I find myself really alienated from that framework right now. I don't really the politics. left right thing. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it doesn't well, make Well, I think there's policy implications. That's where I'm more focused yeah. on. Like when Lear Sapir brings up civil rights and how civil rights has been hacked by the gender cultists. Like that's a big question about how the woke dominate our institutions of power. It's through civil sure. rights apparatus, not necessarily the values of yeah. civil rights or the legislation itself, but the, the implementation, the suing of citizens into obeying a certain sort of moral order, a, a certain sort of association, right? It, it, it violates our freedom of association. It's in 
uh, it's in tension with our original constitution. Mm -hmm. And so I think mm -hmm. that's like, and so that's, that's where like left, right. Like if that even matters, like that's where I'm really interested in. And I, I see the dissident, right. Or, or the really skeptical anti-regime, right. Really doing a lot of work to see, to pinpoint how the powers that be are, are, affecting their will so so whether so left right is what will do you yeah. want to yeah. be implemented i'm more concerned with how it's being implemented and how to how to get that back into a more liberal framework because i'm i'm i want the tension between left and right mm. so i'm kind of a centrist even though i'm really kind of critical of the left because of what i've seen of it and i'm kind of like favoring of the right because of the underdog right now but i want them to be in mm. uh, co-processing with that that apparatus of government and the apparatus of government is, is it's in its own. Oh, it's, I don't know. I feel like at some point I, I have, I have kind of a, I, a black pill viewpoint on the institutions at this point. Like, I don't see how we're going to turn these things around, government included. I mean, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's room for social improvement, but the institutions, I think, need massive reform. So... But that's me. So yeah. that's why I'm saying I feel alienated from that conversation. I don't, that, that conversation doesn't resonate with me. I'm really more in a, a populist headspace than like, let's talk about the institutions. And Can so, you... so when Corinna is going back to what Corinna was saying, um, uh, Corinna asked people to clap if they leaned left and then clap if they leaned right. And so then the room kind of filled up with similar volume. It was interesting to notice that the room and I, I didn't clap at all because I don't, I don't, I'm a radical centrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> the, then, then when, when Corinna went over a list of, well, do you want this? Do you believe these things? And it was, uh, it was just like about a really Rental moderate rights, stance on, yeah. Evidence-based yeah, stuff. You yeah, know. it was just this great list of things that we, in this movement, we all kind of probably can agree on. And, and that was the point of Corinna's whole speech was sometimes you might have to compromise and accept a moderate position in order to get what you want. And you can work together with other people and find your common ground. And so this, after this list was, was read out, everybody in the room clapped. And so that felt really important to me. That just felt like that highlights something really important that we're, you know, it's so tempting to fall into like factions and, and, and get hung up on your little, your little, you know, corner and, and then, and then look at it. It's like this infighting almost that can happen because we are, I know, gosh, what's a word we can use instead of diverse? Because I'm so tired of that word. Heterodox. Okay. <laughs> Heterodox. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But with such a variety of opinions and perspectives and backgrounds, you're not going to find perfect alignment. And if you keep seeking that, it's just, yeah. it's a recipe for yeah. a lot of frustration. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. There was a lot of good things that happened this week and a lot of good speeches. Heather Hying did a great speech just about the bio, the evolutionary mm -hmm. biology of sex. Colin Wright did a great talk about just like the reality of sex. And he went through and how these gender cultists are like, flipping things on the head on the screen. yeah sure yeah i like that one james did a great speech he he, he punched a turf <laughs> he didn't actually do that but <laughs> he called out he called out the feminists and and he i don't think he understood that like most moms just aren't feminists anymore 
Uh, so no, it was great. Yeah. I and I really uh, that was that was really great. I enjoyed meeting him also. Yeah, I really like him so much. He's been so so helpful to me. Yeah, in understanding all of this stuff, and so I just I found him to be really warm and funny and and kind and and I just I was grateful to meet him and I like didn't want to. I, I'm like, kind of. You, here you are sitting with somebody that has all these great thoughts that you've spent so much time listening to, and I'm like, I'm not going to ask you any questions at all because your poor brain is probably tired of yeah. people doing that yeah. to you. We gave, we tried to give Jimmy a, a safe Jimmy. space. See, he didn't like being called Jimmy. He said, I'm, "It sounds like I'm a mafia." <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Two Steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what was Jennifer that? has to go to her okay. group in just yeah. a couple minutes. You, you had one more comment that was it Andrew? Yeah, I just thought this this was this was nice because it was. Uh, it should I read it? Yeah, go ahead and read it. Okay. Yeah. I see therapy or counseling as a way of blowing off steam and getting things off your chest personally. I don't think there are any magical cures. Yep, and I think that's one perspective that brings people in. I mean, there's the confessional aspect and and. That is not well served with a clinical framework. Yeah, there's no cure for the human experience, but having somebody who, you know, comes alongside you and helps you through it is, to me, that's good therapy. It's kind of, it, it reminds me of that um, kind of that activist, leftist ish uh, call to like end world hunger. Like Elon Musk, can you end world hunger? <laughs> Put this one. And, and, and yeah. uh, my, my, uh, reply to that, and, and I spoke with uh, uh, Jason Bradley about this, is that if you really wanted the rich to end hunger, they would just destroy the mouths that are hungry. Like that, the only way to end hunger, the only way to end suffering is to end life, is to stop, mm -hmm. is to stop life from mm -hmm. flourishing. That's right. This is, this one is a counterpoint and we'll just, we're, we have to go in okay. just a second, but I wanted to just give this a you know, chance to be heard. Teeps says, I think it's a lot more than getting things off your chest. That's quite insulting to therapists, really. And I think that's a valid perspective, uh, but I think that that's one of the things about about uh, this mental health field is, in in my way of thinking, and this deserves a lot more conversation because anything I say right now is going to be too off the hip. Well, it's not not just too off the hip, but too narrow. It just deserves more nuance. But I think that people need different things, and that at the end of yeah. the day, the clinical perspective doesn't serve someone who, like Andrew Joyner pointed out wants to use this as an opportunity to discuss things that have been held inside for a long time. And, but for some people it would really be helpful. So there's room for different yeah, DBT or different, like well, or different just yeah. orientations. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But a really great comments and thanks for engaging with that discussion, everybody in the chat. Yeah. Thanks chat. Thanks Jen. Coffee and geckos. We don't. We need some coffee. Yeah, we need some coffee. We need lunch. Actually, we're gonna yeah. go explore Denver now. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I guess we are. <laughs> or at least golden. My we gosh. A pool party. A pool party. Yeah. Oh, right. that sounds like fun. Thank you, you guys. Thank you, Jennifer. It's nice to see you, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks. <laughs> That's it. You're free. You'll pop up on the screen really soon here once it 